Good afternoon. Thank you for your response to this afternoon. The question of the day is, what have you rediscovered? Some wonderful ones coming through. Uh, I'm, after 30 years, getting back on the tools. I started on a fitter machine apprenticeship, and I'm totally loving it. Uh, Wonderful stuff. So what have you rediscovered? Mine is chess. (laughs) What's yours? 2101. Uh, We have Claire Amos, uh, a principal, school principal, and Salwyn Manning, um, a a journalist and multi Media Investments Limited publisher with uh, and with us uh, is uh, our next guest. This is very interesting. Human waste still flowing into the Waitemata harbours and has been for days now since a huge sinkhole opened in Parnell. Eight of 40 affected sites have returned results for high fecal matter and the millions of litres of waste flowing will extinguish life on the seafloor. There are still many Auckland beaches with a do not swim flag, a black flag. I just checked it about an hour ago. You've got Hearn Bay, Devonport, Point Chev, Mission Bay, Koimarama, St Helias, many others and a red flag long term includes Cox Bay, Green Bay, Titirangi Beach. With us is Professor Andrew Jess who is an Auckland University maritime scientist. Professor Jess, welcome. Uh, Hundreds of litres of human waste per second, apparently. From a marine scientist's perspective, this must be devastating. Uh, certainly for the area around where it's entering the sea, uh, it, it will be pretty devastating, yes. Yep. Can you expand on just what the impact will be around these areas? Well, there's a whole variety of impacts for the first part, you've got a whole pile of solid stuff, <laughs> unmentionable solid stuff that will be settling out on the seafloor, and it will just basically be smothering and killing everything on the seafloor uh, in the immediate vicinity. Then there'll be uh, suspended material, which will um, drift out in the, in the water column and spread over a larger area. There's quite a lot of tidal flow through the Waitamata. Um, I was down there yesterday and could see a, a, a brown slick running a uh, long distance up and down the harbour. Um, and that'll be spreading uh, nutrients um, uh, and, you know, pollutants uh, up and down the harbour. Um, when you've got that much organic material in the water, it just sucks the oxygen out of the, out of the water and uh, makes it very difficult for, for organisms to live in it. So uh, things like fishes, which can move, will get out of the way, but other organisms um, just won't be able to survive. Um, there's more. <laughs> um, there's, uh, there's um, you know, other material in, in uh, domestic waste. Uh, people put all sorts of stuff down toilets, you know, false teeth all down there, toothbrushes. <laughs> you're, painting a grim, <laughs> you're painting a grim picture, Professor <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> But, I mean, all of that wow. stuff is, you know, you're talking about, I understand there's over 8 million litres of the stuff going in every day. Um, we've been going for several days now, so it's a huge quantity of, of, uh, of material. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's quite phenomenal. Okay, so for the first time I've heard someone spell it out in no uncertain terms. This is just shocking. 
Clear. Yeah, you're, I, both all, you're both all, well, actually, and you used to be Auckland-based, Sal, but you, you first, Claire. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sort of gobsmacked. And I, what I'm really interested to understand is we always hear that a lot of this is blamed on the ageing infrastructure of um, Auckland and our big cities. And um, But I also am beginning to learn more and more about, you know, the, the other ways that we can solve issues around this, around sort of mangroves as, as carbon sinks. Well, what is the actual answer? Because I don't see that replacing the infrastructure is even possible, is it? Uh, I'm not an infrastructure expert, mm. but uh, are you talking about this in this case in particular? In this case in just... particular, because, you know, so, so much <laughs> seems to be blamed on the, you know, the pipes and the everything, you know, failing. Um, but I, I don't see us acting quickly to replace it. Well, I, I hate to tell you this, but I actually live in the street where the, the poo hole is, um, <laughs> has appeared. What it just claim. gets better. <laughs> so, as I was walking to work this morning, there are a lot of people in fluorescent jackets running around and some very large plastic pipes being uh, offloaded by a crane. So um, just chatting to some of the people on the side of the street, they they said that they're going to scramble a, a plastic pipe to uh, divert the, the material away from the, the hole so that they could get in there and actually fix, fix mm. the hole. So, yeah, I guess... Um, my understanding is the pipe's over 100 years old. Uh, you know, it's an old brick pipe. It's it's not surprising, you know, that, that kind of, you know, ageing infrastructure. And it sounds like Band-Aids, doesn't it? If they're, you know, wedging in a plastic pipe here and there to re-divert things, it doesn't sound like it's solving the fundamental issue. Oh, oh totally. I, I suspect that, um, you know, that there's lots of old... Uh, you know, pipe, you know, sewage system, mm. uh, you know, in, in in our cities, not just Auckland. Mm. I mean, Wellington had a similar, uh, has had a similar series of events with sewage ending up in the harbour over the last couple of years. So, you know, it's... it's, it's Maybe Peter Jackson could sponsor. Maybe this <laughs> could be his next gift. <laughs> Let's go over to Selwyn Manning. Uh, Selwyn will have some views on this or uh, questions. Yes, certainly. Um, Now, Wallace, you know, last time I was on the panel with you, we talked about a sinkhole that was up around College Hill area. Um, That's right. And we discussed discussed whether or not there was a possibility that the infrastructure was starting to get cracky and creaky, and what did that look like if that was the case. Now, what we're seeing is more evidence of this. I don't think that we can exclude not looking at um, Auckland's infrastructure in this way. I think it's a vital part of of going forward in the city, considering too that a lot of the areas that are looking for future development and all of this type of thing are in these areas along the waterfront. Now, we know that Auckland is full up with volcanic um, kind of makeup and things like that, but there's also limestone and sedimentary type rock, which is obviously can crumble when you've got cavities that form underneath. I suppose that's that's what concerns me, and I think at some stage Aucklanders and New Zealand will have to bite the bullet, have a proper evaluative information-seeking program that actually looks at exactly what's going wrong underneath the ground we walk on and drive on. Then my other thing, Wallace, is putting it back to Professor Andrew Jeffs, and great, great to hear you on the radio, um, Professor Jeffs. Now, with this patch-up that's going on at the moment and that what you have witnessed going out into the harbour, how long, once the patch-up just of this mm. one mm. sinkhole occurs, how long is it going to take, do you believe, to get back to where we were a couple of weeks ago? You mean in terms of the health of the, of the harbour? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, well, uh, things like the you know the the organisms that cause people problems, you know the the, the gut bugs and other nasties viruses, uh, they can lurk around for for several weeks in the marine environment. Um, but the the organic material that gets dumped on this on the seabed, they're going to be there for some time. It'll take a while, you know, months, maybe years before before the system can break that down and, and disperse it uh, further afield. Goodness. So on that, we're talking fecal matter that's staying on the seabed. This is what we're actually talking about, uh, uh, Andrew. Uh, yeah. In terms of the snapper out of the water, things like that, what of that? What of the fish that we eat? Oh, well, you know, there's the stuff that's going in there is totally different to what you'd normally get in in a marine food chain. So you'll get those uh, those those food materials reverberating through the the food chain. I mean, um, you know, studies have shown that you know things like the the fats out of dog poos off footpath. Um, when it's washed out into the into into harbours, you know you can pick up the signal of the, that um, those fats from the, the the dogs in in fishes for for a long time later, and for some distance away. I'm having it, visions of those fat birds that people are finding in the, yeah. the underground pipes. Are you telling me no one's going to go clean up? <laughs> Before we leave you, Andrew, just one thing I've got to ask: um, the other risk, briefly, you say is airborne. That's correct. Yep. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of wind in Auckland over the last few days. What happens is you get, uh, you know, white caps, uh, breaking water. It aerosolizes or puts uh, droplets of water into the air, and those droplets can contain uh, viruses and bacteria, which then people are breathing in, and it can make people sick. There's, there's studies overseas that have shown that uh, in a radius of up to about a kilometre from the where the, the sewage is released, uh, there's a risk to human health I, from aerosols. Uh, look, I really pre- appreciate your time, Professor Jeffs, and thank, thank, thank you for explaining all that uh, in uh, <laughs> such, a, uh, such a candid way, but a very important issue. That's Andrew Jeffs, who is a marine scientist at Auckland University. So it may be safe to give those beaches a miss. You can go to the Safe Swim website, and they're all there. There are many beaches uh, that uh, are affected. The panel RNZ National 18 past for Claire Amos, Sauer Manning today. The cash-strapped rural Perhus ski fields has been given another $7 million by the Crown. The fourth cash injection which takes the Crown's total commitment to $20 million. Rural Perhus Alpine Lifts, RAL went into voluntary administration owing $45 million. Now this $7 million allows RAL to continue until March of next year. The season just gone, a bumper season apparently on the mountain following a shocker last year, but what of the long term future? With us is Professor of Sport and Gender Holly Thorpe at the School of Health at the University of Waikato also a former competitive snowboarder and instructor Professor Thorpe, kia ora, welcome Kia ora Wallace, thanks for having me on. And have you snowboarded on either Tūrua or Whakapapa? Yes, many times, and in fact, uh, just a week and a half ago, I was there with my my family, our six-year-old and nine-year-old and my partner, and we had three incredible uh, spring skiing days with, yeah, just beautiful and, yeah, amazing snow, 
and a really great vibe. And yeah, yeah we had a very nice time. So on that, you've just been up, and by all accounts, it was fantastic. Is there a sense of what sadness? Because this is such a rite of passage for so many New Zealand families. Is it a little sad that we are possibly in a sunset era? I think it depends on who you're talking to. Um, and I was talking to lots of locals and businesses oh, yeah. from the climbing wall and the ski shop and um, people on the mountain. Um, and there are lots of different feelings and lots of different um, levels of understanding of the complexities of these issues. Um, and I think lots of different perspectives on what needs to happen and what the future might look like. So I think where people are coming from depends on... Um, you know, their experiences, their cultural relationships with the maunga, um, their economic sort of motivations. Um, you know, you've got the life pass people, you've got people with houses there, you've got yeah. people with businesses mm. there, and people have different feelings about it. But yes, it's obviously a lot of feelings going on. We've got a panel with us. Let's go around the panel. Claire? Uh, I think it's really important that we protect these spaces as much as possible, and I, I hope it remains accessible and remains successful in some way, shape or form. I mean, I'm not speaking as a, a passionate skier. My one attempt of um, of snowboarding was a terrible one, hmm. nearly you know, caused a fracture in my relationship, my marriage at the time, because <laughs> I kept having a tantrum. But I do recognise that um, you know, if we lose these things, if they become privatised and, and maybe we lose access in the way we have at the moment, you're never going to get those things back. So I, I really do hope that um, that we see a way forward in this space. Mm. Yeah, Holly, stay there, Selwyn? Yeah, I mean, what stands out in this is whether or not it's correct for the government to actually mm. um, inject this in, you know, and there's the, there'll be a lot of people that think, oh, this is just corporate welfare, this is just wrong, and then there are others. Um, and where I probably sit here is it seems to be a prudent thing where it's injected the seven million in, it kicks the ball down the road, it doesn't solve the thing, but it puts it to perhaps a couple of months after the election so that whatever the new government looks like uh, can can pick this up and go with what they believe are the solutions to this. I mean, in general terms, you know, everything that, um, you know, Holly, thanks for that, um, everything that you've outlined there, it sounds like a whole... Um, economic environment, but also cultural and spiritual environment mm. that is wrapped around what is a significant part of this country. And I think that, you know, pulling all of those things together, particularly if there are different divergent views right now, is what's behind me thinking that it's the right thing to do, to just move it down two months and then let's get stuck and roll up the sleeves and find the solutions to yeah. this because it's say, too important not to. Yeah. You, you do say, Holly, that you, 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 let us not lose sight of the mm. fact that this area is a unique and special mm. place for other reasons also. Mm. Yeah, I think understandably the conversation recently, over the last year anyway, has been very much focused on the economics of this, the economic modelling, what's going to work who's going to bring the money in, who's going to buy this, etc. But that's my point, I mean, others are making this as well, is, is it's bigger than that. This maonga is, a, is an incredibly uh, special place um, in the heart of New Zealand um, that, you know, culturally, geographically, spiritually, as well as a place where we can go and play and have a nice time, but it's actually so much more than that. And that's why we need that the, the recent funding from the government is just a, sh a short-term solution, but we need a long-term um, 
some big long-term thinking here and that has to be with iwi and right at the heart of that conversation it's so important yeah, I, I was just wondering, Holly, do you know of any international sort of models that we could be aspiring to? Is there, a, is there a particular approach you think we should be going for? I have not seen, uh, you know, most ski resorts around the world that I have visited anyway and that I know of through my research have been very much based on corporate models. Mm. And then, you know, there have been critiques around, you know, environmental critiques, sustainability issues, but also um you know the the processes of colonization and decolonization and mountains as as spaces that have been colonized but you know we have the potential here in Aotearoa to do something really different to do something really uh, unique and be world leading here i mean Tongariro National Park has been world leading in its dual heritage um, world heritage st- status and i think we could imagine ski resorts that actually um, celebrate the cultural and spiritual and geological significance of this maunga. Mm, yeah, very good indeed. But by the way, before you um, go, um, you've snowboarded on Tūrua Whakapapa. I think you once said that, or you said that Tūrua enjoyed the biggest snow base in the world at one time. When I was there a couple of weeks of, weeks ago, it had the, the largest snow base at that time. So, uh, you know, resorts in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. Very good. Oh, that is Professor Holly Thorpe there uh, from the University of Waikato, a former competitive snowboarder, uh, instructor. Um, you So you're not a snowboarder, you're not a skier. What about you, Selwyn? Uh, I used to do ice skating, but that's about it. You know, the, you the rest now? of the time on the mountain was go, <laughs> going down on my bum. It's about as good as I got on the so mountain. You so were, you were an ice skater? Well... I'm not saying professionally, Wallace, obviously, but, you know, when we were in teenagers, yeah, definitely we used to go out to GI in Auckland there and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy ourselves very much. Very yeah. cool, very cool. Now, so on that, I was reading a very interesting piece in The Guardian, New Start After 60. I spent my career in IT but rediscovered my childhood love of music at 70, a gorgeous piece in The Guardian, about how Chris Raven was getting out of IT and he picked the Baroque flute back up. And I thought, well, have you rediscovered anything, playing the lute or the auto harp? Maybe you've rediscovered poetry or spinning wool or tantra. Well, Maybell has rediscovered after 50 years colouring in. Guy Mm. in Christchurch says, I've been rediscovering a lightness and ease that I sometimes felt in my first two decades or so of life. Jen, hula hoops. And uh, another one here, Kate says, I've rediscovered marching in my 70s, and I absolutely love it. A call out to Tamuka Leisure Marches. And I thought, well, let's Mm -hmm. go around the panel on this. What have you rediscovered? Because it's a wonderful idea, isn't it, to actually take something back up that you used to do all of a sudden, clear Amos, life absolutely gets in the way. <laughs> and what about you? Um, well, I was um, one of the many middle-aged women who rediscovered roller skating over lockdown. And um, I now you. roller skate every single day. And much to the joy of my um, teenage daughters and my husband, I roller skate in the living room every single evening. And then I post it on Instagram. 
My children are so, so proud of me. I know they are, deep down. Deep down, um, they are. Yeah, deep down. I'm a learner and I'm sharing that learning with the world. But more seriously, it is ridiculously good for your well-being. Uh, there's something about strapping on some roller skates. When you are on eight wheels, you cannot think about anything else except for staying alive on eight wheels. And you add some music, you learn some choreography, you can, you know, the inner footloose can come out and um, I just feel like it's an absolute source of well-being. Incredible way to get fit without actually thinking about, oh, I've never been one for going to the gym or doing anything too serious. But I swear I am fitter and stronger and happier. It's incredible. Uh, yep, from roller skating all, all every day. down to roller skating in your living room. Yes. Very annoying for your family. Absolutely. <laughs> And um, you know, and, and one of my one of my daughters told me not long back that she has unfollowed me because I have ruined yeah. her algorithms on social media. Yeah, I could believe it's a proud it. moment. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you have to say, you've taken up you're extremely busy. You're on uh, committees and all sorts of things. You're a principal at a very busy school, but you've taken the time to take back up roller skating. Sowen Manning. Yeah, that's super cool, Claire. But anyway, my, mine I got it. For the first time in many decades, I, I bought an electric guitar. And what, what that's about is going back into the, when I was in late I teens, early it. 20s, I, I used to, we formed a band. We thought, well, if Sid Vicious can do it, so can we. So we formed this band. We called it The Infections on the Drum. It had We Will Grow On You, but we never did. <laughs> but I played the bass in that. The problem I'm having, Wallace, and you, you know, you'd be able to give me some tips if I was living closer to you, mm. is after doing the bass all of those years ago, I pushed so hard on the fretboard and also my fingers, they don't seem to be able to get the notes because they were, you know, if there's a muscle memory thing, it's wide and spread apart. You know, but anyway, giving it a go, we'll see where we go. One day, maybe I'll be okay. able to play the, so, the simple riff. Of, hang on, just to, just to like clarify, cl- clarification, <laughs> are you playing the bass or playing the guitar? No, guitar now. Yeah, yeah. the guitar picking now. That okay. up. So picking up the music, yeah. So you've got to check your fretboard and you've got, you get a special tool and you can actually slacken the, slacken the strings. So keep the strings down closer to the fretboard and that'll make it easier for, to, for you to learn the chords, okay? Oh, there you go. Yep, there, there very good. Are. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, what have you rediscovered? Here's another one here. Uh, I rediscovered things I enjoyed from my past. I trained back in the 80s as an engineer at tech, got my NZCE, then did drafting and mechanical design for the next 30 years. I changed careers a few years back to get back on the tools and started on a fitter machinist apprenticeship, and I'm totally loving it, especially all the learning that goes with it. Gary has just uh, texted in, I'm 63 and I still longboard skate. It speaks of something bigger, doesn't it, Claire, that you're never too old to get back into something you loved when you were younger. Absolutely. And I, I just recently, last couple of months ago, started tap dancing because roller skating wasn't enough. And quite frankly, it is the most ridiculous, fantastic thing Isn't that I've done. great? <laughs> Claire Amos on the roller skates, Sowen Manning, serious journalist on the little guitar <laughs> in a punk band. I've got to get an amp yet, though, <laughs> All right. It is 29 to 5. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Oh. <laughs> Loving the laughter, Wallace. Is, uh, 
and a little what, snort by someone then. But um, what have you what have you discovered, Marama? You well, wouldn't have the time, would you? I, <laughs> have the time. I was thinking, oh, um, maybe I should pick up the piano accordion again. Oh, oh absolutely. It's a bit rusty. I think it's probably a hole in my uh, the bellows at home. But anyway, I, maybe I should. You've got two weeks' time, <laughs> and you give a song to Jesse Mulligan on the accordion. Oh, How about that? Kidding? You're kidding me, right? Oh gosh.